Okay, thank you, Pastor Ed. If you look at Titus in chapter 1, I'd like to just share with you a couple of thoughts that I hope would be an encouragement to you, a challenge to you as people in a local church, members of a transformed community by the grace of God, as well as encourage you concerning VBTS and what God is doing here on our campus. You don't see all that takes place, but what God is doing is truly remarkable, brothers and sisters. Even just this fall, uh, just the, the incredible things that he's been doing with these students and bringing them in, uh, still coming in, by the way, even this month, as they're moving from places like Illinois and Massachusetts and West Virginia to come here to go uh, to seminary, to be trained in the Word, and to be in this community of faith, as well as some other communities as well. So I just want to encourage you to think and to pray for us. And uh, I love what Pastor Ed and, and uh, what Gary said just a few moments ago, that uh, you would take some time and get to know some of these, some of these students. I think it would be a great blessing and encouragement. Titus 1.1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and mercy and peace, excuse me, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are faithful, not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination, for an overseer as God's house steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good things, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The island of Crete is located in the Mediterranean and for navigation reasons becomes a strategic place for those in the first century in the shipbuilding uh, job or business traveling from the east to the west, going up to Rome, even beyond, and going, of course, back the other direction. It was a, an important navigational point. It, they tell us that about six centuries before the, Jesus Christ stepped onto the scene and Paul after him, that there was about 100 cities on the island of Crete. They were extremely provincial. They, had, they were small-minded towns. And so many of these over the next six centuries coalesce together so that by the time Rome comes into being and begins to pervade as the world empire, you now have about 20 towns of major import on this, uh, this island called Crete. These towns fought with one another. They wanted their own territory. They didn't want the, the influence of the other town. It was extremely provincial. So when you think of the Apostle Paul, 
He is in jail from Acts 21 to 28 for almost five years. At the end of his time of two years in Rome, he is released and he knows his time is short. If God revealed that to them, him or whatever, we don't know. But he knows his time is short, so he takes a number of people with him and he begins to crisscross across the Mediterranean Sea, going to places he has been, maybe even going as far out as to Spain. We're not certain. But he begins to do all kinds of travel. And then as he goes to certain towns, he deposits some of his cohorts to stay there and to work in this area because they need the gospel in, in a more fuller and a broader way. They, the believers need to be taught, especially when there's young churches. One of those places they went to is Crete. And there in Crete, as he begins to walk through the towns, he noticed that though there's a lot of animosity and ungodliness, in fact, if you want to know what the Cretans are like, Look down at verse number 12. Paul writes that one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil bees, lazy gluttons. What he means by that is this. They don't tell the truth. They have a hard time knowing the difference between truth and error. They are individuals who will not bridle their lusts and their passions and their pleasures. They are also individuals who have on the forefront of their mind what they're going to eat, how good the food is going to be, and what they're going to drink, and how great the wine is. That, that's their focus of life. It's, it's very earthy. It's very self-centered. Somehow the gospel of Jesus Christ has pervaded Greek. Maybe it goes all the way back to Acts 2, because you find Cretans there at Pentecost who actually got saved. We don't know. But somehow there are believers that are cropping up in the towns of Crete that in and of themselves, won't have anything to do with another town, but God is doing something in the midst of these believers. They're untaught. They are individuals who need a, a touch of grace through some leadership, and now the Apostle Paul lands there about A.D. 63. He's got 24 months to live, and so he says, what I'm going to do is invest this time, and so he says to Titus, Titus, you stay here. You develop these towns. Go from town to town. And I want you to develop the believers. It's interesting, if you look at verse number five, watch the language that Paul writes here. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town. You see that? Probably the churches are struggling, maybe not, wouldn't even be called a church by the standards of the Apostle Paul, but there are believers in every town. How is it that somebody's going to migrate into town after town that doesn't like one another and set up local assemblies and people that exude a transformed life? How is this going to happen? Well, two things. Number one, Paul has a ministry purpose. Look at verse 1. This ministry purpose is outlined in verse 1. Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith. Now, you could translate that, and some of your translations have this or have a mark to it, that it means for the furtherance of the faith of God's elect, to further their faith. Now, when somebody is saved, they have all the faith that they need. Romans 12 tells us that. But that faith has to develop and grow. It's kind of like a marriage. Martha and I have been married, believe it or not, uh, under 50 years. I'll say it that way, under 50 years. And we were married, 
And when we were married, in that marriage, that relationship needed to grow. And so by God's good grace, she put up with me and developed and, and me so that I can stand before you today. But there's a, there's a relationship that must grow within the marriage if that marriage is to be everything God wants it to be. Well, that's the way it is with the faith. When you're saved, you have the faith. You are in the faith. But now what's going to have to happen is the relationship is going to have to grow between you and your Savior and your God. And notice also it says in the text, not only for the furtherance of the faith of God's elect, but also their knowledge of the truth. Your knowledge of the truth must grow. You're going to want to develop. You're going to be around the Word. That's why I love coming here on Sundays to hear our pastor as he exposits the Word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept. This is important so that you can grow and further in the faith. So when you further in the faith, there's going to be transformation. How do you know that? Look at the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse says, which accords with, or again could be translated, which produces, and here's the word, godliness. When someone is growing in the faith, the outflow of that is a God-likeness of quality and behavior. If somebody is not growing in godliness, it's because they don't have an understanding of truth. They're not growing in their relationship with God and with his word. And so this is a very important term. It's a term that is dynamic, that is, as one person said, this is thoroughly dynamic in description of what Christian behavior is to look like. It is the ethic of Christianity. What? To be like God. To be like God. That's the ethic. It's not to be a good Baptist, to be a good Presbyterian, or whatever you want to call yourself. It is that you become like your God. I become like my God when I begin to grow in my faith and when truth begins to pervade. I don't know how many times Pastor Brent and I have had conversation and I say, I just say, I say, just keep doing what you're doing. Just give the word to us. That's what we want. That's the only thing that's going to move us to understand truth. And God miraculously, beautifully, wonderfully, through the power of the Spirit, takes his word and begins to massage it into our souls so that our relationship grows, so chaos can abound around us. And we're not saying things that we ought not to say. We're not writing things publicly that we should not be writing. We're not speaking evil of political leaders. We're not speaking and acting in a way that is causing other people to be hurt or damaged. We are people who are committed to this sovereign idea that God indeed controls everything. He is in control. It's only the people who are, don't understand that are going to be frustrated. Do you like what's going on? No. Is God in control? Yeah. When's it going to end? I hope tomorrow. But I don't know. But it's okay. Because I am being, the truth is working in my life to conform me to Jesus Christ and his image so that my moral life, my personal life, my social life, my political life, everything about me is under the dominion of God himself. I really believe God has a plan for November. I really believe that. I really believe that no matter what happens in November, God is still on the throne. 
I really believe that God has a plan right here for Colonial Baptist Church, and he is at work. Because this is the truth of God. There is nothing that can deter the sovereign, powerful, mighty hand of God. He is the living, eternal, triune spirit who is free and unchanging and perfect in all of his ways. This is our God. So let's act like it. Let's act like it. The Apostle Paul sends this man, Titus, into Crete. And as he goes into Crete, it's, it's politically just in, it's in shambles, shambles. But here's what he says to him. Titus, here's, here's my purpose. My purpose of ministry is to stretch the faith of these believers and give them truth. When that happens, it's going to transform their lives. They're going to become godly. And when they become godly, there's going to be amazing things happen with their next-door neighbors, with their friends, within their assembly. So this is his purpose. But he has a plan, the way to do this. How, how does that happen? I mean, how, how do people living in separated towns uh, all of a sudden begin to embrace truth and to look like God and to exude godliness? How is that going to be? Well, as the Apostle Paul is thinking about that, just within weeks of leaving Titus in Crete, he sits down and he pens 46 verses. Chapter 1, 16 verses. The next two chapters, 15 verses each. He pens this short letter. And this short letter is so that Titus will have apostolic authority to do what needs to be done. And so what is he going to do? Is he going to come up with a program? Maybe, maybe he could, a good witnessing program. Maybe that'll do it. Maybe they need the Iwana ministry. Maybe that'll do it. I mean, what, the, what does he do? He tells you in verse 5, this is his plan. I left you in Crete so that you appoint elders in every town. This is the way it's going to happen. Titus, you're going to have a transformed community of faith when you deposit proper leadership. Now, it's not that Titus was to go in there and he says, I select you, I select you, and I select you, I select you. This is, this is the same term in the Greek text in Acts chapter 6 and verse 3 where they were picking seven what we call deacons. And, and so, as you read, they were to, the apostles said, select among yourselves seven deacons, and then, and here's the word, we will put them in charge. In other words, you select from yourself, and then from yourself, you bring them to us, and we'll have an ordination of these, and we'll officially put our hands upon them based upon how you're looking at it as a congregation, and this is what we're going to do. I think that's what's happening here. I think this is the end result. The appointment is the end result of a number of things. As he went into a town and began to meet people and see what God is doing, and God helped him select individuals to fit. Well, how did he help him select? That's what verse number 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 are all about, that these men have to be qualified. They have to be qualified in their homes. Their marriages have to be right and godly. Their children have to be faithful. They can't be insubordinate. Their personal life must be free of gossip and all of the things. They must be hospitable, a lover of that which is good. And they have to be upright and holy and disciplined individuals. And then thirdly, they are to be in agreement with the apostles' doctrine. And I think you can understand verse number 9. As they are taught, 
In fact, some of your translations just put that right in there. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful exposition of the word teaching, not just the activity of teaching, but the, the work it takes to get the truth of scriptures into the hearts of the individuals who are going to be teaching. So when I think of the, the book of Titus, brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm saying to you that the apostle Paul had a, had a divine purpose. Verse one, he wants to see people grow in the faith. He wants them to grow in the truth. And the end result will be evident to everyone. We just read John 15 just a moment ago. Ben read that. It's evident to everyone, not because they have the sign on the outside or they have a fish on the back of their chariot. It's evident to everyone because their life looks like God. Neighbors are saying, I think God lives next to me. You see, brothers and sisters, this is the, this is the purpose of Paul. The plan is to get men into a place where they can be proper leaders. And there must be things in place already in their personal life, in their private life, in their home life. But there's also going to have to be the, the massaging of truth into their souls. The time when they're away from the public eye, where they're getting the truth. And they're now using the truth that they're learning. And they're teaching it. And it's growing. And it's developing. And it's moving in a proper way. I mean, it's an amazing thing to see how God would deposit us today in this very area. We cannot make a man holy, a woman holy. That's not our job. That's the Spirit's job, and it's a relationship that a person has with the Spirit and with truth. What we can do is help individuals understand truth. And when they understand truth, it massages into their hearts, and God begins a work of transformation. So when they preach, it is an overflow of their hearts. This is what God is doing in my life. This is what's happening. This is what's taking place in my life. And if it's working in the life of a sinner who's been transformed by the grace of God and has given them these qualities, because these are not natural qualities. When you look at verse 6 down to verse number 8, these aren't natural qualities. These are supernatural qualities as one understands the truth. And by the way, I think that these 15 qualities probably ought to be for all of us, maybe with the exception that you must teach. All of them are in the New Testament. This is what you're to be. You're to be holy, hospitable. You're to value what is good. In other words, these leaders are to be the examples of what the transformed membership is all about. So, number one, Paul has a purpose statement, 1-1. One, one. Number two, Paul has a plan. The plan is qualified leaders to help people who can do, you, men and women, as you listen to these guys that were just up here, I mean, you can do so much more than I do. As soon as, as, soon as they say, I'm, I'm, I'm in Home Depot, what do you do? I'm a, I'm a preacher. Ooh, boy, he's gone. I mean, within five seconds, it's like, boom. Like you turn the light on and the cockroaches run. <laughs> but, you know, you, you're not, you, I, I'm, I'm a plumber. I'm in the Navy. I do this. I do that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, they're not going to run. But then out of your mouth comes, but you know what? <laughs> You know, God dominates my life. Whoa, what in the world? God dominates, what does that mean? What does that mean? The opportunities that you have, the, the, uh, the open doors, the incredible open doors at this time in history, in American history, it is greater now, brothers and sisters, than ever before. 
So when I think of a transformed membership, it's interesting that chapters two and chapter three are all about that, a transformed membership. But because my time is almost done and the pastor is going to take over in just a minute, let me take you right to the text. Can I do that? Look at chapter two, verse one. Look at two, one. This, this is a transformed membership. As for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Why? Because of 1-1. You teach sound doctrine, they grasp it, they're going to look like Jesus. They're going to look like God. So make sure you're teaching sound doctrine. And he names them, verse 2, older men. Verse 3, older women. Verse 4, young women. On it goes. Verse 5, younger men. Verse 7, even you yourself, Titus, make sure you remain an example. It's not enough to point the finger. You must live it out in front of them. And then look at chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them, remind all of those who have embraced Jesus Christ to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. It's a good work to be obedient to government, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy to every person. Verse 3, why? Because we ourselves, we were once foolish. <laughs> we were disobedient. We were led astray. We were deceived. We were slaves to our various passions and pleasures. See, you're either a slave to God or you're a slave to your passions. We were slaves to our pleasures. We passed our days with malice and envy. We were hated by people, and we were hating people. Is that a description of culture today? Yeah. But look at verse 4. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done in by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who's, who's washed you, who took you from where you were, hating and envy and malice and all of that stuff. He washed you and cleaned you and set you in a new sphere. The sphere is in Christ. And in this sphere of in Christ, now this is where you are to live. And he says this, so that, oh, verse 6, the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In other words, every one of us here has been poured out richly, the Holy Spirit within your heart. You have the Spirit. You have just as much Spirit as the pastor does. You have just as much of the Holy Spirit as an ABS teacher has. You have just as much of the Holy Spirit as any person you might want to listen to to say, I like to hear them as they preach or they teach. You have the same Holy Spirit within you. So guess what, men and women? Act like it. Live like it. Go hard after God. This is what the Spirit is doing. He is pushing us to be godly, godlike in our character. And this is a transformed membership. So remind them of these things. And I love the way he finishes here in verse 7. So that being justified by his grace. In other words, we don't deserve any of this. We're justified by his grace. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And let me tell you, verse 8, this is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God will be careful to devote themselves to works that have eternal value to them. These 
our things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So what's going to distinguish our church? It's not the amount of people that are here. It's not a full parking lot. And I thank God for that. What's going to distinguish us is when we scatter. What happens in the marketplace? What happens in our homes? If we have been stretched with truth and our relationship of faith is growing and, and moving forward, then when we get into the marketplace, when we get into the to our homes and our neighborhoods and when we're traveling on the interstate and somebody gets in front of us that caused a 15-second delay for us. We act like God. We pray for them. I love Joni Erickson Tata. What she would say, she said, I, I can't do very much, but she said, I did a lot of flying in my earlier days as I'm telling my story. So I would go into, I'd go into an airport and I'd look around in the airport and I can't, I can't shake, shake hands. I can't do anything. And because I'm in a wheelchair, people stay away from me. She said, but I could do one thing. She said, I just made a commitment that I would start going seed after seed after seed to start praying for their eternal souls. I'd pray for them. I pray for that lady. I pray for her child. That person looks really like they're going through a difficult time. What happens when you hear a siren? What do you do? Start praying. God, I don't know where they're going, but they need, somebody needs help. So God has chosen to do this at this time in history, and I greatly rejoice. I, I'm so thankful for it. And I, I just want to say thank you. I, I would encourage you today, take those 46 verses. Just read these 46 verses. Uh, spend time in them. If, you, if you'll do that, if you'll, if you'll do that, Titus bec becomes a very powerful foundation of what it means to look like God. And I'm thankful, I'm thankful that we can be here at VBTS. If you have any questions, we'll be hanging around here for a while. Any questions, any thoughts, please feel free uh, to talk with us, to share with us. And we're grateful to the Lord. As the men are coming with Pastor Brent, would you, would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your kindnesses to us. Thank you for the joy to, to serve God, to serve God. I mean, you have chosen us at this time in history we, we, you did not deposit us 100 years ago. You, you deposited us right now. This time, we have a destiny. We, have, we are here by the design of God. Help us to fulfill that design. Help us, Lord, to have a faith outlook on life. That's not a positive attitude. It's a faith outlook. I'm growing in my relationship with God. He's in control. I get that. Bad things happen. I get that. But, God, you're in control. You have a plan. It's going to work out. So I pray that you will help us. I pray that you will make us a, a church of transformed people. Because, Lord, around us will be disappointed. We'll be disappointed. I will disappoint people. <laughs> I will disappoint somebody. I'll say something I don't follow through on. So, so, Lord, help them not to look to me, but to follow me as I follow Christ, Paul said. I pray that they will look to you and cause strength and glory to take place within their families, within this local assembly. And would you bless VBTS? Would you continue to bring us individuals who will study the word so that they can go out and disseminate truth and help people's relationship with faith to explode so we'll have transformed communities around the world. We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen.